0: Welcome to Hey YA, from great new books to favorite classic reads, from news stories to updates on the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is a bi-weekly podcast here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a bookwrite podcast hosted by me, Kelly Jensen, along with Eric Smith. We're recording on Thursday, February 1st, 2018. Hey Eric. Hello. I am so pumped that it is February and we are finally done with the 10 year long month that was January.
1: Oh my god, it was unbelievable. <laughs> I can't believe like, it.
0: I know, it just kept going and going and going. <laughs> what, what oh my have you goodness, been reading?
1: so. Well, I have a little aside that I need to yes. r- ramble about really quick. So, um, you yeah, whenever I go to like bookish events or like conferences and stuff, I have one coming up in like two weeks. I like to bring books to give away that I like really love. Um, Mm -hmm. And I wanted to pick up a copy of Cindy Pond's uh, Silver Phoenix, a little older YA book that I really adore. And uh, I bought a copy on Amazon, as one does, and I I bought a used one. Uh, And the book that showed up was an arc. Uh, And I couldn't believe that, like, a 10-year-old arc was somehow floating around someplace. Uh, And it was still in one piece. Yeah, it was in good shape, and, like, I, oh, I think I'm gonna, like, keep it. I feel like it's, like, a, a piece of, like, my favorite author's history. I don't know. what What is, do you, do you have, like, a, what's the oldest arc you've ever found?
0: <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I've ever found any that are particularly old, but I still have a copy of the arc of Veronica Ross' Divergent.
1: Oh, um, okay.
0: I don't know if I have a reason for still having it, except that I can say I still have it. Um, you know, like it was one of the first big books that I got in an ARC form and maybe that's my attachment to it. I don't know. Um, but I've never, I've never experienced what you have, though. I've heard stories about that happening and I just wonder like, does the seller know? I, you know, part of me wonders if the seller just doesn't have a clue.
1: Yeah, they might not. They might not. I uh, I like
0: to think that they're not being, you know, trying to be deceitful. They're just like, oh, yeah, no, I agree.
1: (laughs) And for those of you who don't know what an ARC is, it is an advanced review copy. It's a sort of paperback that they uh, the publishers send out to reviewers. So they're not really for sale. Um, so it's odd to and find they're, one.
0: Yeah, they're, they're not for sale, and they're also just, like, the quality's not great. Um, you know, like, the, the formatting in the paper and everything is just, I don't want to say cheaper quality, but, like, of lesser quality than a book. So the chances of it lasting for 10 years is pretty surprising.
1: It is, it is. So, um so things I'm reading. Uh so I'm rereading Ninety Nine Days by Katie Kutungo. Uh I got an arc of uh her the, the sequel to that book, Nine Days and, and Nine Nights. Um and it's been so long since the first one that I'm rereading it. Uh and I realize in saying that that's it sounds kinda silly because like Ninety Nine Days is only three years old. Um but you know, like I inhale books pretty fast. I know you do too, so I feel like I need a refresher uh on the book. Um so, it's about this, uh... So, so, 99 Days is about sort of 99 Days, much much along the ways uh, like that movie 500 Days of Summer uh, takes place over those 500 days. Um, it's about this teen girl who uh, has 99 days to wait until they head off to college. Um, and the problem is is that she, she wants to get away from this guy whose heart she broke, uh, and she broke that guy's heart uh, by going out with her brothers. So yeah, it's this whole thing where uh, you know there's these two brothers caught in this love triangle with this girl, uh, and it's all about friendship and heartbreak, and it's a really really fun book. Uh, and I'm really excited to read the second one. Um, and the second one's pretty short, so it's gonna. I feel like it's gonna be a nice, nice breezy weekend of reading.
0: Um, what you were saying about forgetting what it was about uh, three years in. And not thinking that that was very long. I just read this article. Another book writer had posted it last week about... um, There's just a phenomenon that you forget what you read. You know, you could read the book um, and forget it, like, instantaneously. And there is some, like, science behind it. And a lot of it has to do with distraction and um, just having so much information coming in at once. And I think, too, like, you and I probably have a similar situation where you read so much that you remember... Like, you remember the plot in basic ways that you can describe, but when you go to read, like, a sequel or um, part of a series, you want to revisit, like, okay, I don't remember all the, like, specific details or, like, all the things that really made this book stand out to me to make me want to read the next book. So, um, yeah, I'll link that article in the show notes because it was really interesting and just. One of those things where you're like, okay, it's not just me. (laughs) Like, I'm not not malfunctioning because I can't remember. It's just part of, like, living in the world today is forgetting what you read.
1: (laughs) What about you? What are you reading uh, right now?
0: (sighs) So I just finished this morning Lizzie by Don Ayas, which was not very good, but um, kind of like a reality show that you know is not good. Yeah, you keep watching because you're like, okay, I'm entertained and I want to like see where this is going, even though I know objectively it's not very good. Um, it's a reimagining of Lizzie Borden's life as if she were a queer teen, and oh. the pre- the premise sounds brilliant. But the the writing and execution, it's like it's super obvious what's going on. Um, at the same time, I'm just like, okay, so she gets a lot of the details about Lizzie Borden's life, like right on. I've read enough books about. Um, Borden and and her story and who she was and like her living situation to know how much research has gone into this book, but then the the liberties she took are just so bizarre. Um, I mean, I enjoyed reading it, but I don't know if I enjoyed the book. Um, mm. So I mean, it's one of those books that like if you want something just strange and bizarre and. You're fascinated with like rewriting history. Uh, mm-hmm. I would recommend it. I guess <laughs> you know, <laughs> like okay. one of those like don't go in expecting a masterpiece. Go in for the entertainment value.
1: I <laughs> gotcha. Yeah,
0: um, and I also today just started "The Way You Make Me Feel" by Maureen Goo, which I already know is going to be hilarious because within the first three chapters, we have this girl who is kind of a prankster. Her Mm -hmm. two best friends put her up to be junior prom queen. She wins. She pulls this elaborate Carrie-style stunt at prom, and the class president, who she has a rivalry with, um, gets really upset about this. The two of them go at it, and where I'm at, I'm like four or five chapters in, so this is not very far. Um, They as punishment, have to work in the same food truck over the summer. And all the money will be donated back. Yeah, all the money that they would make will be donated back to the school to cover the cost of the damages for what happened um, at their fight. And I can only imagine this is going to be great because Maureen Gu has a really good sense of humor with her writing. And Mm -hmm. um, just having started it, like I was sad to put it down that I had to do other (laughs) things instead of keep reading it.
1: Food truck book, I love it.
0: Yeah, I'm super into that right now. Um, So before we dive into the meat of our show, which should be a really good one, I wanted to give a shout-out to a Hey YA listener who, um, after listening to our last show, sent me a comment and said that she wanted to share a YA book that had a band camp um, theme to it. The book is called Major Crush by Jennifer Eccles and came out in 2009 or 2010. Um, And Sunny is a listener who who told me this and she said um it's about a girl who becomes the first female drum major in her high school's history it's a why romance so there's conflict with their male male co-drum major before they fall in love i love this part this best, this is why i had to share this like little um response she gave i was so in love with this book that when i became a drum major i modeled my uniform off of hers in the book and on the cover like, that is hardcore dedication wow. to a book. Yeah. I love that. I love that so much. So, that's Major Crush by Jennifer e- um, Eccles. If you're looking for a Bandcamp title, there is one. We just didn't know about it. Nice. Yeah.
1: Cool. Well, let's dig into our first sponsor. So, uh, our first sponsor is, uh, Broken Beautiful Hearts by Cami Garcia from Fierce Reads. Uh, from the number one New York Times bestselling author, Cami Garcia, comes a red hot romance that will break your heart and put it back together again. Broken Beautiful Hearts is an honest, realistic exploration of the trauma that follows relationship abuse and a beautiful portrait of physical and emotional healing. Romance Fans of any age will be on the edge of their seats as Peyton learns to trust her heart again and in the process discovers she is stronger than she thinks. Um, So, an aside from me, is that I'm really excited about this book. I really love Kimmy Garcia's dive into contemporary. Um, The Lovely Reckless was, like, this really fun, like, YA, sort of Fast and the Furious-esque book. And, like, I'm sorry, if you comp anything to Fast and the Furious, (laughs) like, I'm going to be there for it. You know, I want to hear... Someone in the book, you know, yelling at another person about family, like Vin Diesel does. Like that's that's what I want. I'm there. I'm sold. Um, so yeah, another Cami Garcia book. I am excited.
0: <laughs> Let's talk about things that we're not excited about. <laughs> okay. Um, yes. <laughs> is that a nice segue for this? Um that is, that So is. there's this. <laughs> I sent Eric this article last week, and I so was just mad. like, "What is this?" Um, and. After I sent it to him, I found, like, six more articles that covered the same topic, and I realized that we have our new hip thought piece, and it is dumb. It is so dumb. Ugh. It hurts.
1: <laughs> so, Why is it that, like, hot takes are always, you know, not so hot?
0: Not only that, they're always by people who know nothing about yes. YA literature or, like, anything. Um yeah.
1: And like we've talked Actually, about this before, how like YA like think pieces, like the ones I never hear about are the ones that are great, uh, and the mm-hmm. ones that get shared around the most are the ones <laughs> like this one that make me really angry.
0: <laughs> so, um, the pieces are talking about the new Maze Runner movie, The Death Cure, which just came out, and the pieces are framed as does the failure of the death cure mean that the YA movie industry is dead, that YA is dying? And yeah. um, <laughs> it's just like, um, one of the titles is called, Are We Done With The YA Adaptation Movies? It's like, okay, okay. So you read these pieces and like slowly your blood pressure rises because you're like, oh, man. Whew. Uh, where to start with this one? I mean, I guess, I guess for me, the very, very obvious and basic thing not being talked about in these pieces is that uh, teenagers grow up. And as teenagers grow up and franchises um, are taking their sweet time to, to evolve, maybe those teens are ready for something new by the time that, you know, the third movie or the fourth movie comes out. Um, so just for a little context, the Maze Runner, the very first movie came out in 2014. The third one, the Death Care came out in 2018. So that's four years. So if you think about 14 year olds in 2014, they're 18 now. I mean, they are, you know, off to college or their senior year of high school or they're working and maybe they're not interested in the Maze Runner like they were when they were 14. I don't know, just shooting in the dark there.
1: It is quite possible. Also, I hate to say this, but the Maze Runner movies are kind of bad. Sorry, (laughs) but they are. Like, I kind of like the first one, uh, but when I was watching it with my wife, who isn't very familiar with the series, the questions came fast and furious. Family! There, I'm going to do it again. Uh, I feel like if you (laughs) didn't read those books, uh, that movie didn't make a ton of sense, and then the second movie is literally, like, a group of teens running from one explosion to another until the credits hit. That's it. That's the movie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I admit to not having read the books or the movie, but I remember when the books came out, I was still working in libraries, and, like, they were a huge thing then, and um, even when I came to the end of my library career, people were really excited about the movie, but this was before the first one came out, and... I you know I, I just can't imagine that the enthusiasm for um, this has kept up that long. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons that I think the franchise for the Hunger Games works so well is that the movies came out over three years, so it was pretty quick. Um, you know, like in rapid succession, they came out, and we haven't really seen that in the other franchises that have been. Brought to the theater. So, Divergent, I don't even know what happened to the last movie. When they split the third book into two movies, didn't the the fourth one go to, like, network
1: television? Yeah, they haven't even found a home for it yet.
0: Yeah, it's like, so it's still hanging out there. Well, you've lost your audience by then, you know? Like, you'll still have your diehards, of course, but diehards aren't, like, aren't going to be seeing the movie all the time, you know? Like, they're going to make up that first wave of... um, Theater goers, but then after that, like it's it's gonna trickle out. Like that's just how interest in these things works. Did you um? Did you see the Fifth Wave in theaters? I mean,
1: I didn't see it in theaters. <laughs> I saw it at home. Um, and I just I just have so many regrets. I do. Uh, <laughs> like the special <laughs> effects are bad, and like it does follow the the book fairly well up until a point, and then suddenly. The, the the aliens have these superpowers, and it's just... It is it is not great. Um, and then Ron Livingston is only in it for so long, you know? And, like, I love seeing him. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a disappointment.
0: <laughs> there, um... I wrote for the YA newsletter, it was last year, probably about this time last year, I looked at the um, actual box office returns, and, I mean, it was no surprise that the fifth wave was, like, not super successful. Um, it just it didn't look good and um you know looking at the box office returns for that there was no real trend like it didn't look like the new movies that were coming out were doing any worse than older ones it was simply a matter of like you know the hunger games has been out since what 2013 2014 like obviously that one did better at the box office than a movie that came out you know the first month of this year did like just yeah. over the course of time, like that's reality. Um, but where I was going with that is that these think pieces aren't looking at the context of like the franchises that are out there versus the franchises that have been super successful versus what's coming down the pike. Like we've got yeah. some great, great YA adaptations that are coming out soon. Um, you know, just this year we're going to see Love Simon. So based on um, Simon versus the Homo Sabian's Agenda, which looks like it's going to do really well. Um, oh yeah, you know it's it's a queer love story like on the big screen. A that's a big deal, but B this book is like super well beloved in the YA community and beyond. Um, that
1: trailer is perfect too. Like when he's like, mm-hmm. "I like your I like your boots." Like I I <laughs> cried I cried I was laughing so hard. <laughs>
0: It has sort of the feel of like The Duff um, in terms of like how they're marketing and promoting it, which um, I don't know how well The Duff did in theaters, but it's one of those movies that like people are still watching. It doesn't matter if you've read the book or not. You know, like it has a wider fan base than the third book in a trilogy that you like have to have read books one and two to, you know, understand what's going on. Um, And then we have The Hate You Give, which is going to hit theaters, and that's going to be huge. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no doubt that'll be a big one. And Dumplin', When we get that, we have some huge names attached to that one. It's like I, I, I can't wrap my head around. Is Dolly
1: Parton writing? She's is writing Martin? a
0: song for it, I believe. Yes,
1: I know. Oh my god, what a what a dream <laughs> for the author too. Oh my goodness. I
0: know. Um, I'm just. I'm. I think the thing is that these adaptations will be successful because more and more of the filmmakers are moving away from franchises which require a lot of time and money and, like, investment in a franchise. Whereas a standalone, you can turn that around much quicker, you know, Um, especially if the rights get sold. So, like, if the book is coming out in, you know, March, and they sold the book, let's say, the March before, they can sell the movie rights at the same time, betting that the book will do well and get the movie starting, you know... The movie process started early, like even before the book comes out or right when the book comes out. And then they turn that movie out again in another year. And it's like, well, readers are still finding it and discovering it. The book then has a new life. Whereas, you know, are a lot of people now going and picking up the third Maze Runner book? I don't know. Um, Mm. My guess would be probably not.
1: You know, and also, I, I don't think they're taking into account the fact that there's so much room for smaller YA movies, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lifetime, for some reason, has been scooping them up. And uh, I don't know if, you know, you saw the Sarah Czar adaptation of the of Story of a Girl. Not yet. But, like, I want to. It's so good. Like, Kevin Bacon's in it. Like, it has this really great cast. Um, I thought it was great. Um, I, I wasn't super psyched about the, the Ten adaptation, the, the Gretchen McNeil mm-hmm. adaptation. Um, but, like... They're getting made. They're on smaller networks. I mean, I'd love to start seeing some YA hitting Netflix. Uh, yes. They clearly have the mindset, if you saw American Vandal, like that was like a giant YA novel. Yeah, um, yeah, like, it was. Yeah, like not everything has to be this massive blockbuster. A lot of YA novels are quiet. Uh, the movies could be too.
0: Yeah, and I think too, what you're saying about having them streaming, that also opens up access to them to teens who like are flipping through looking for something to watch that they might not... Otherwise, like go to the theater to watch, you know, Um, the opportunity to sort of browse and find it versus like having to have it in mind that that's what you're going to go see, Um, you know, and and they don't have to know that it's based on a book. They watch the movie and then it's like suddenly they're like, oh, there's a book I can go read, too. And, you know, there's a double benefit there. Um, I wrote a little note in here that. Today is as we're recording. It's World Read Aloud Day, and I did a Skype visit with a ninth grade class in New York. And this one kid, he was adorable. He kept asking all these like personal questions, but nothing super weird or whatever. You know, he's like, "Do you like snowmobiling?" Okay, who's your favorite baseball team? And, and just like funny stuff like that. And, um, yeah, it was adorable. One of the questions he asked me, he goes, "How do you feel about?" the book versus the movie. Does one have to be better than the other? Like, do you think that books are always better? (laughs) I I was just like, okay, I love that this kid is thinking about this, number one. Yeah. And number two, I told him, I said, you know, you like what you like, and it's okay if you like one better than the other if, like, you don't even know that Mm -hmm. the movie is based on a book or that the book is, you know, um, got a movie that goes along with it. Um, and this, like, blue is mine. (laughs) It's like, you could be a book lover and like the movie more. Um, I don't know how often that happens, but, like, it's possible, and that's okay. Like, there doesn't need to be a, you know, this versus this. It's like, you can create this sort of whole experience with both and and like them for different reasons. And, and like, seeing, like, this book that the author created that somebody then wrote a script for that interprets that and then puts it on Mm -hmm. the screen, like there's so many cool elements in both and like to say that there's a universal answer to which one is better is to like deny that there are two different mediums that serve two different purposes and like yeah. <laughs> accepting that that was a like super big aside for this but
1: <laughs> it's a good um, aside
0: it just it just gets me thinking that like kids are interested in, in these adaptations and, and I think you're right in that these smaller ones there's like great opportunities to do things with them not just on the big screen but also you know like lifetime making them or amazon scooping up the rights and doing a, a mini series you know like they did yeah. with 13 reasons why and um yeah i'd love to see more of that because i think that's really where i don't want to say where the money is but that's where the money is <laughs> and maybe <laughs> it'll allow fewer dumb thing pieces about the death of the ya adaptation like mm, yes. go away stop <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now that we have <laughs> we have like slashed that, uh, let's go into a topic that we sort of teased last time, which is um, talking about pre stardom books from young adult favorite authors. Um, we sort of talked about this, and I I, I le- let off my list with this one, but last episode we were talking about good romances, and Eric talked about. The Jenny Han series, uh, To All the Boys I Love Before, and I mentioned that I really loved her series from before that, The Summer I Turned Pretty, which is, uh, you know, it's been on for a while, but it didn't get yeah. quite the same, like, splash in attention that To All the Boys I Love Before, had. and so we started talking about just, like, authors who have had that breakout novel or breakout book, and... Um, Like what came before? Like what were they working on before? Like what's worth going back and seeking out and sort of seeing? I don't want to say their evolution as an author, but uh, their evolution as an author, (laughs) and also Mm -hmm. like enjoying you know a story and a voice that's sort of familiar to you. Um, So I brought up Jenny Han and another one that she wrote, um, and this was the first Jenny Han I read was called Shook, and it's a middle grade book. Um, It's about a girl who's twelve and she's absolutely convinced that 12 is the worst age ever. Like the whole (laughs) book is about how everything around her is changing and how much like this, she just doesn't like it. Um, You know, it's one of those books that you're reading. You're like, man, yeah, 12 really is the worst age ever. Um, And she really like goes there about just, she's not ready. Um, I don't want to say she's not ready, but like the world is changing without her permission. And um, that's sort of one of those scary spots to be in. Yeah, um, and if you love Jenny on, like, pick that up. I listened to it on audio; and it was pretty good on audio as well.
1: Who do you have? Oh, nice. Uh, on my list, I have Susan Dennard. Um, so before she came, before she became this big uh, New York Times bestselling author with her Witchland series, which is uh, you know Truth Witch, Wind Witch, etc. Witch. Uh, she had a trilogy with Harper Teen, um, Something Strange and Deadly, uh, and it's actually one of the the. Book series that really helped get me into YA in the first place when I was starting to sort of dive into uh, reading YA books um, because it did this wild thing where there was steampunk, there were zombies, there was like an alternate history set in Philadelphia, there was like a necromancer, there was just like all this stuff that I loved mashed into one book uh, that then proceeded to have uh, two more books after it, and uh, that just sort of blew my mind as I was reading it because I you know, books are only supposed to do one thing, you know? Oh, no, surprise. <laughs> yeah. Here's here's a ton of stuff in it. Um, and, yeah, I feel like a lot of people slept on that series. And, uh, you know, now it has this, like, gorgeous new paperback release with all these really pretty uh, new covers on it now that uh, her, her Witchland series has taken off. So uh, if you haven't gotten into those, uh, pick them up, because they just, they're just so much fun and so imaginative and wild. Uh, yeah, you'll like them.
0: I think that that series came out at the same time that we saw a bunch of, like, girls in pretty dresses on covers, and it just yeah. unfortunately sort of fell in with the rest of them, um, which is just, it's unfortunate for all those books, because they all feed <laughs> together, even though they're all so different. Yeah. Um, so I'm just yeah, super glad weird. that there are new covers and that that trend is
1: gone. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Because it was weird that it had, like, you know, a pretty dress cover, because um, all the stuff that was going on in the book, I feel like the cover didn't really, I don't know, it didn't really tell you what was inside, uh, the way it should.
0: My next one comes from a recommendation that I got early in my librarian career. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think everyone is fairly familiar with Neil Shusterman's, um, Scythe series. The second book just came out, Thunderhead, and he won the National Book Award for Scythe, the first book in the series, Um, But before that, he worked on a four-book series called the Unwind series, and the first book is Unwind. And when it was pitched to me, like in my first library job, this was the coolest pitch ever and also the most terrifying. But um, (laughs) the premise is that there's been this um, world war, and it's been over reproductive rights. But at the heart of the story is this idea that parents of teenagers can unwind, which is essentially like... Killing their teenagers and have their teens' organs transplanted into another person. Um, what? Which is like, yeah, it, it's a. I've not read these books.
1: I. I, I that is that it's is like, unbelievable.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a bonkers premise, but also like super interesting. And um, so the story follows, I think, it's three or four teenagers who are like quote unquote not great kids. Who are like, what are our parents going to do? You know, Um, how do we stop this like practice from happening? And like, how do we assert authority over our own like capacity to be people? And um, it's super fun, but also one of those that you're reading and you're like, this is terrifying. Uh, Yes. And also like quick to read. So um, that's Unwind. It's a four book series. So you'll get to enjoy that world for quite a while uh, by Neil Schusterman.
1: Is, is enjoy the right word? Like, oh my goodness.
0: I know, I know. I was just like, mm, I don't know if that's the right word, but um, experience maybe is a better yeah. word.
1: Oh man, I can't believe I haven't read those. That That's, okay. <laughs> I'm going shopping after our podcast. Um, so let's see, what do I have next on the list? Oh, I have uh, Robin Benway on here. So uh, yeah, everyone's talking a lot about her uh, last year when she won the National Book Award for Far From the Tree. Um, but before that, she had a ton of books. There was... um. What was it, Aubrey Waite, which is, like, this very, like, Hey There Delilah-esque YA music novel, which we talked about on the last episode, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. Emmy and Oliver, and then a bunch of other YA reads, right? There was the... What are those books yeah, that are, like, A.K.A. It? or something? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, there was, like, a series, or maybe it was a duology of mysteries that she wrote, um, A.K.A. Oh, there's also also... Um, I want to say it's April, June... April, May, and June, which is about a um, trio of sisters. Yeah, she's written a whole pile of books before. Yeah. So yeah, there's a nice backlist to like really dig into.
1: Yes, really. Well, um, on your next, list?
0: My next one is Laura Ruby, who um, she won the Prince for Bone Gap in 2016. So it's you know one of those magical realism books, super literary, super. Um, just like grappling with a lot of interesting questions and, um, with some beautiful, beautiful writing before that she's written a number of books, but two YA ones worth mentioning are, um, good girls, which is a book that came out in 2008 or 2009. I can't remember. Um, and it's about slut shaming essentially, but it was written before we had that terminology and it became like super well known. Um, the front cover has a flip phone on it, like so. It's a little dated, but at the same time, oh, wow. like it's one one of those stories that um, is still timely and relevant. Just the cover is, you know, um, <laughs> you know, a product of its time, the pre-iPod times. Um, <laughs> and one of her other ones is "Bad Apple," which is about an alleged teacher-student relationship. So, oh. yeah, yeah, I haven't read that one. I have it, and I'm super interested in reading it because. That's been one of those topics that we've seen again and again in YA, like not as a trend, but periodically. And just like knowing Ruby is like really feminist slant in her writing. I'm so curious to, to see um, how it reads and also like how it reads today, you know, however many years after it was originally published.
1: Yeah. Uh, let's see. Who do I have next in here? Oh, so Victoria Schwab. Um, so I remember when this Savage Song came out, there were a bunch of these not so great takes about her being this overnight success Um, -hmm. probably written by the same people that wrote those, uh, you know, why movies are dying, uh, think pieces. (laughs) Uh, when the reality is she's had a ton of books and series and before that, as well as adult titles. Um, so, you know, if you look at Victoria Schwab's backlist, um, before the Savage Song and even, um, oh goodness. What what is the, uh, uh, is it Vicious? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. The, 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 the book over the adult books of Tor. Um, she had the Archive series. There's two books in that. Uh, the Near Witch, which I haven't seen. Or, I mean, haven't read.
0: Oh, I've read that one. That was fun.
1: Yeah, and then she has a middle grade series with Scholastic called the Everyday Angel uh, series. So she's done a bunch of stuff before. Um, and it kind of bummed me out seeing people forget about her uh, her excellent backlist. I heard there... Is, is it true there's going to be another Archive book? I heard she's, like, going to finish the the trilogy
0: that i don't know um i
1: hope i hope so cuz those books were quite lovely
0: i haven't read them but the premise of them was super interesting to yes. me um my last one is and this uh, kind of fits the topic depending like how long of a YA reader you've been i guess um Lainey taylor who is best known for her daughter smoke and bone trilogy wrote A book called Lips Touch Three Times, which is a series of three illustrated short stories um, illustrated by her husband. And it was a National Book Award finalist. And they're fantasy stories about kissing. Um, Super interesting. Super gorgeous. And I did this thing. I saw this tweet on... um, saw this tweet on twitter i guess i didn't see it elsewhere but i saw this tweet on twitter about um going into your amazon account and seeing like what the first book was you bought under that account and um apparently so i I guess i've only been buying from amazon since 2009 at least under the email address i have now and the very first first purchase i made on there was lips touch three times and i know i still have that in my collection of books so i was like oh that's nice um she also wrote a middle grade series before that called Dream Dark, and it's, a, I believe, a fairy fantasy series. Um, I haven't read it, but a couple more to check out. Um, and I love seeing these authors who found success in life who've also been writing in other age groups, too.
1: Yeah. So, So who's the next big star you want to be able to brag about that... You know, you read their earlier books, you know, like, <laughs> oh, I knew them before they got popular in, like, a very snooty indie rock, I saw Jimmy <laughs> World in a cafe before anyone else did sort of voice. Um, like, you know, like, I don't, I, I don't know, for me, for me, it might be, like, Erin Bowman. Um, she's had, she's had so many books. There's the, the Taken trilogy, um, which is not what you think it's about. It's not Liam Neeson. <laughs> it's, it's more about aliens. Um... <laughs> She's had the Vengeance Bound duology, which I adore. And now she has this new book coming out next year called, uh... Or this year, called Contagion, which is uh, leaps into sci-fi. Um, and, like, none of these have been, you know, bestseller list books. But I feel like she's, she's, like, due for one. Like, her books are mm-hmm. so great. And she jumps genres all over the place. Like, I want to see her, you know, get that household name status.
0: Totally. Yeah. Um, mine, and, and I think this is going to happen, um... Mine would be Courtney Summers, who's written a number of, like, super um, edgy contemporary YA books, sort of in the vein of, like, if Laurie Hall Sanderson met um, Ellen Hopkins. Mm. Uh, She also wrote wrote a zombie novel, so not contemporary, obviously. But um, I have a feeling this next book that she has coming out um, in the fall, there's not much information about yet, um, is going to like launch her career which i hope so like and it'll be nice to be like i was reading her books way back when
1: you know she she has a zombie book i didn't know she had a zombie book
0: yes uh this is not a test it's a standalone zombie book
1: get out of here oh wow okay well (laughs) i'm gonna go get that
0: (laughs) i'm making you do all your shopping aren't i
1: i know i love this
0: who else would you put on your um your list, your snooty,
1: snooty list. Oh, man. Uh, well, I know we both love Brian Bliss. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a special place in our heart, and he has a, a really hard-hitting contemporary coming out this year that I hope will catapult him. Um, and probably Danielle Clayton, too, you know? Uh, the Bells is coming out, and I think that's going to make a giant splash. And mm-hmm. we're going to get to say we read Tiny Pretty Things before, you know, before it was so cool, before everyone else was reading it. So, yeah.
0: Right? <laughs> Um, And, I mean, I'm going to throw Brandy Colbert on there, too. Um, You know, both of us have have read her books. And um, I think think she'll hit, you know, and we'll be able to say, like, we were reading her way back when, and we knew, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So sort of playing with this idea of, like, dreams and, like, um, things we would like to see happen. We're going to wrap up our show with... um, Going off of another news story that hit this week, which was that um, Kwame Alexander, author of um, Booked and, oh man, Solo is another one of his books, and mm-hmm. I'm totally forgetting the big one, uh, the basketball one. Um, you, you know what I'm talking about. The one he won the Newbery for.
1: Yes. <laughs> the crossover. <laughs> oh man.
0: The crossover. Crossover, yeah. that's it. Yeah. And, and in addition to those, he's written so many, but like, he's quite prolific. Yeah. But um, he just got offered and accepted the opportunity to have his own imprint at um, HMH. So he gets to sort of curate a collection of books each season that he handpicks. Um, I don't know how deep he'll be in with the editing, but it sounded to me like he has a nice team there who he's going to work with to sort of um, curate this collection of important edgy, voicey, like, versey um, novels for for young readers. So it'll be picture books through way, which is also what he writes. And um, as I was reading this story, and I think it's great, like, I think this is great and um, follows in sort of what Rick Roden is doing at Scholastic and having his own line as well, um, it got me thinking about who some dream authors having their own imprints would be. Like, what authors would we love to see, like, hand-choosing books to publish and edit and sort of, like, you know, create a space on the shelf for? Um, Do you want to go first?
1: Yes, yes. So, um, oh, goodness. I would love to see, I know I just mentioned Danielle Clayton, but I would love Mm -hmm. to see someone like her uh, get her own imprint, and how cool it would be if, uh, Cake Literary became an imprint, and I, you know, I'm realizing we're talking about all this like inside baseball publishing stuff in this episode. I mean, we we're talking about arcs, and now talking about uh, Cake Literary, which you know, if if you're not a publishing person, you probably don't know. But like Danielle and uh, her uh, publishing partner Sona run a sort of book packaging literary agency type thing, and they're responsible for some really great books. Um, that they come up with and and work with authors to create, um, I think it'd be amazing if they started publishing their own books. Like, oh my goodness. Um, Because they've been, I
0: mean, their their, um, literary, I don't want to say factory, but literary idea um, program has put out some great books. I mean, it's responsible for The Bells. It's responsible for Tiny Pretty Things. It's responsible for The Gauntlet, which was a big um, middle grade book this year. Um, you know they are really stepping up the game in terms of ensuring that there are more diverse books out there, and there are more diverse books by authors of color out there. Um, like they're sort of—I don't want to say they're filling in a gap, but they're certainly like putting a big mark in in these really um, commercial, like <laughs> easy to sell, easy to pitch books by, um, yeah, you know that we just haven't been seeing like we should be seeing.
1: Yes. I, I love that they are here.
0: Yeah. Which is to say like an imprint by them would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my picks would be Lori Hall Sanderson, who, um, it'd be awesome to see her have an imprint of strong piercing, like female driven stories. Um, fun fact, um, penguins speak imprint, which is their paperback. Um, books. So books published by Penguin that then go to paperback are published through their Speak imprint. It's actually named after her book.
1: See, this blew Fun my fact. mind. Like, oh my goodness. <laughs> like, I have so many of those YA paperbacks with so that little Speak mm-hmm. logo down the bottom in the silver. Like, I had mm-hmm. no idea.
0: You know, it's funny. I, I interviewed her um, on Book Riot a couple years ago, and this is one of the questions I asked her because I was like, I wonder... Um, I've always been curious like is there a tie between the two because it's not on um, or at least back then it wasn't on Penguin's website or anything and I was like well I can ask and she can say no um, and then when she said it was I was like that is so cool that is like the That's coolest so cool little... yeah um, but I'd love to see her have her own imprint to sort of really like flesh out a um, strong female driven narratives um, you know across all genres because I think she could who else yeah, you
1: got? Who... um I don't think anyone. I think you have some more.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, you could take mine if you want to, because we okay. both agreed on this one.
1: Well, yeah, we were, we were going to talk about Nova Rensuma for her sort of weird, odd, you know, horror-type uh, books that have that, that really lush, you know, visual... Her books are just these stunning... Uh, Uh, just stunning masterpieces in YA. Um, And I was hoping that maybe her lit journal that she started with with Emily Pan uh, goes the route of the book smugglers and starts starts publishing? Like, Mm. maybe novellas and books like that. And great, here's more insider baseball. I am sorry, listeners, but... So there's this fantastic website called The Book Smugglers, which I can't recommend enough. Um they start off as a blog and then they evolved into publishing the occasional short story, and now they're now they're, they're like a little like almost boutique publisher, uh in their, their own right. And they put out these really lovely uh novellas. Um and yeah, it is Can it's, I Yes, please I was gonna
0: say can I tell a funny anecdote about uh the book smugglers? I would love that. Um, <laughs> so I was invited to join them and a few other bloggers up in Toronto for um, the first Toronto International Book Fair, which only went happened once. Um, we were invited to be bloggers for the conference. And um, one of the things we got to do was go on a tour of all the bookstores in uh, Toronto. And Baca Phoenix is their big science fiction and fantasy bookstore, a very, very cool bookstore. And we were in there, and we're wandering around, like, we started getting a tour of the bookstore, and um, I can't even remember how it happened, but there was this guy in the bookstore who was shopping for books, and he overheard something about the book smugglers, and he turned around, and he goes, I love the book smugglers, and we're like, well, Anna and Thayer are right here, and it's like, Blog World met like reader in this bookstore is <laughs> the coolest little thing. Oh. And I always think about that when I think about their imprint, it's like, okay, so they know exactly who their readers are and what their readers are looking for. And they're able to really cater to that, um, to that audience. It's just very cool.
1: Um, that is lovely,
0: but yes, that went off on a tangent. <laughs> so if we bring it back to Nova Ren and, um, Emily Penn's, um, foreshadow their upcoming literary magazine if that could eventually like spin out into an imprint that would be really cool Mm -hmm. um the last one i was going to mention is daniel krauss who he's written a few horror novels uh i'd love to see him do an imprint of like ya horror like super dark brutal Uh, that would be cool and he he's had a hand in uh, The Shape of Water too. He was an assistant producer on it, I believe. Um,
1: no way.
0: I, I don't. I want to say that's his title on it, but I'm not 100 sure. But he has a role in it. Like it's in the credits. Um, he was very involved in the movie, and it's like as I I was thinking about this question, I'm like man, books like that, and why it would be really cool, and he would be great at like having an imprint that that went that route.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So have i like sufficiently blown your mind tonight?
1: You have. I feel like this whole episode's been like, no,
0: what? No way. <laughs> like once in a while I pack away the little facts so I can like parcel them out you know, I love in it. a way that like I can enjoy you going, no way. Because I know you'll get really excited about them. I do. Um <laughs> uh, well, I think that's our show for the yeah. week. Um thanks for tuning in. If you've got any feedback, please leave it at Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing and when you do that, it'll help other people find our show. Thanks again to today's sponsor for helping make the show possible. You can follow me, Kelly Jensen, on Twitter and Instagram as Verona Kelly Mars. And you can follow Eric Smith on Twitter and Instagram as Eric Smith Rocks. And we will talk to you again in two weeks. Bye. Bye.